0: Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Okay, so uh, grab a Bible, because that's what we're talking about. We're going to be going through... This book, but in a different way. Usually we open it up, we look at scriptures, go through it, we talk about what Jesus taught us and what it means to follow him, but we're going to take a completely different approach for the next six weeks. Um, when it comes to this book, I don't know what your background was. My background was that I did not grow up in a church, I didn't grow up with a f- believing family, I, um, I was very indifferent, I knew there was a Bible My grandma had one, it was big, it had pictures in it, and she particularly showed me the pictures with the flames, and that wasn't a cool book to me. I was like, what's the point of that? But I figured every family, like the Rose family, had the Rose family Bible, and she had possession of it. And I thought, oh, someday, maybe that'll get passed down to me. But I'd never plan on opening it, it was just something that kind of stuck on the shelf. Well, my life eventually changed, I made a decision to follow Christ, I didn't still grow up in a church, but I went and started reading the Bible, and um, it was so powerful, and I ended up going to a Christian college because of that, because I didn't know anything about faith, or I had no background. And so I went to get some background, and I graduated, and I felt called to work with teenagers. Teenagers like me that had no background, that didn't understand who Jesus was, and needed someone to go tell them. And so um, I went to a seminary, because I was told that's what you're supposed to do, And so, some people um, paid for me to go to this seminary called Bethel Seminary. So, I took a few classes there to start. I ended up changing to a different seminary just because I moved. But when I went there, I went into this, one of my first classes I took, well, I only remember two classes in the beginning. And one of them was an Isaiah class. And uh, this really old guy was teaching it. Because you have to be really old. Because if you're really old then you look really smart and he looked gray he looked the part he had the jacket with the little tweed things right here in fact um he's renowned like he's a world famous expert on isaiah so i'm like i get to be in this guy's class and the first day of class they tell you hey so we're going to study the book of isaiah and let's talk about who wrote it right and i'm like duh we can just get over that isaiah wrote it and he goes so there's isaiah but then there's deutero isaiah and then he starts like wait what like, this is my first day of class. You mean there wasn't just some guy named Isaiah that wrote it down or had some scribe? Well, no. I mean, the, the guy Isaiah wrote it, but there was probably a Duro Isaiah that wrote it after he died. I was like, what? Like, I don't know how to explain what was happening inside of me at that time, because I'd never asked any questions about this book. It was the Bible, God just wrote it and people wrote down what he said and it's nice and simple. And when you open it, you read it and that's God's word. It's just that simple. Don't ask questions. And here we have this professor teaching me, the smartest man I've heard of on the book of Isaiah, telling me that it wasn't just Isaiah to write it, but that somebody after him added to it. And it was as if at that moment, I'm in the classroom sitting down and I could feel like cracks just like popping up through me. You know, like when you drop ice into, like, warmer water and just crack, 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 crack? And I thought, wait, everything's going to come tumbling down. I'm here in seminary right now because I want to be a person that shares this truth with teenagers. I want to change the world for Christ. I want to share this gospel. But are you telling me there's a chance that this Bible might not be what I thought it was? Because I always thought that, like, if you open it up here and it said, open up to Acts. Acts didn't write Acts. But usually they have people's names here. Jeremiah, you tell telling me Jeremiah didn't write Jeremiah? Wait, are you telling me, like, if I open up to Samuel, did Samuel not do this? What if I go to Mark? Did Mark not write this? Like, that, I, I can't keep moving forward. And so I was at a moment where it was as if, like, from the movie The Matrix, where there's the red pill and the blue pill, and I'm thinking, how far down do I want to go with this? Do I want to ask these questions or do I just want to pretend that this guy's crazy or just say this guy's crazy and just keep moving forward without asking any questions? That was the moment I was at. Do I want to ask these questions? Because if I keep asking these questions, what if I go through it and my faith is no longer there? Now, I didn't grow up with a faith, so it's harder, it, it's harder for those that grow up with a faith. But this is what we want to do. And I was talking to Brent about this, and I've talked to other people about our children's ministry as well. With our children, it's the same as with us as adults here at at this community of faith. We don't want to teach our kids what to believe. We want to teach them to ask questions so they can find the truth. Now, I'm still standing here teaching from this word. So I took the pill, I don't know which one's the blue pill and which one's the red pill in the movie, but I took the pill to keep asking the questions. And it wasn't as scary as I thought. But the point is, we have to start asking questions. And many of us look at this Bible and we're like, well, of course, it's just it's the truth. And anytime anyone says, but I heard there's a problem here and I heard a problem there, la 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 la, I can't hear you, I don't want to talk about it, blah blah blah, blah, blah. you're crazy, you don't like God, you're, 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 you're going into a hot place with flames, Whatever it is you do, you just don't want to hear anything that's going to, like, cause those cracks. And some of you are like, you don't have blind faith, but you have blind denial. You're like, ah, there's no way, that's not possible, so you don't even want to ask questions there. There's no way, it's just a bunch of people, and there's, I think it was Constantine, didn't he just, like, make, choose the Bible, he said which ones were going to go in, because it fit him, and didn't Henry Eighth have something to do with it, and... So you have blind denial or you have blind faith, or you were like me prior, you're just indifferent. You're like, yeah, I heard there's a Bible, but what does that have to do with me? The question for this morning to start this off is, do you trust the Bible? Now, not do you have blind trust and not do you have blind mistrust, because we want to ask the questions. So wherever you stand this morning, my hope is that over the next six weeks that you'll begin to ask those questions. My original plan. um, I was gonna have whiteboards in here, and I was just gonna go full professor on you. I was gonna—I was even gonna wear a jacket. I thought, oh, that'll be—I'll get their attention. I'll walk back and forth, and I'll have a little laser pointer, and I'll pull out, you know, these slides. And and um, I remember how boring that was for me. So I thought, why would I do that to you? And I remember one time um, I was at a conference, and a guy I really look up to was speaking that Friday night, and it was horrible. And the next Saturday morning, he came up to speak and he looked up at his lectern, like this little thing right here, and he saw books and papers everywhere. And he stood in front of us and he goes, What the heck was I doing last night? What was all this craziness? And he just kind of pushed it aside and he just said, Let me just speak to you. And so that's going to be my approach this morning. Because I had this grandiose plan with all these slides and take you through all this. But my hope for us this morning is just to ask that question what would it take for me to trust the Bible? If you have blind trust, you need to put it aside. You need to start asking questions. If you have blind denial, you need to put it to the side. And if you have indifference, I'm going to tell you that the history of this book, which we're going to look at this morning, it drives you and should call you to not be indifferent because people gave their life so that you could have the ability to see this. Do you realize that around the world, people don't have the opportunity to have this Bible in front of them? And you didn't either at one point. But let's get started here. So you should have a Bible in your hand. If you don't, we're going to bring even, we ran out of Bibles, so we're going to bring even more. But I want you to have a Bible in your hand, because we're just going to start flipping around, not looking up verses like we usually do. It's going to be very different this morning. Um, We're going to actually look at the history of how this book came to be. Okay? So um, let's get started here. This book, it's called the Bible, and it's... That word is a Latin word, which means library. Because this was written by a bunch of people. You realize that, right? People who we believe were inspired by God, moved by God, witnessed what God had done, wrote it down. And they didn't write it down thinking, oh, we've got, we got a deadline. The Bible's going to be printed soon. We've got to get this in. We've got a deadline. We got... They were just writing. And there were other people that wanted to record what was happening. In fact, it's less commands and instructions than it is narrative, which means history, story, sharing what had happened. And when you look at these people, especially the Old Testament, it's, it's called a canon, okay? So there's the Old Testament canon and the New Testament canon. Canon, not C-A-N-N-O-N, but C-A-N-N-O-N. And the word is a Greek word, which means like a rule or a measuring stick. Because what started to happen is is there were, there were letters, there were books that were written, and they were just accepted as scripture. And then other books and letters started popping up, and it started getting freaky. And they're like, whoa, whoa, that doesn't, that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit the rule. Meaning, that's outside. That doesn't match up, and we don't... And so they had rules for how things came to be. And the thing is, this Bible, the way it came to be... It's extremely important to us and you need to know some of the history i'm not going to bore you with too much of it but you need to start asking those questions because do you know when this even came to be think about it the old testament um i i'm not going to assume that everybody knows the old testament so the old testament if you have one of these bibles grab it right now so you have one of these um the reason i want you to grab these is because it has the page numbers And let's face it, when someone says, oh, go turn to Micah, you're like, okay, and you're just flipping and flipping. You don't really know where it is. You're like, is that Micah? Is that Malachi? So we can tell you the actual page numbers. And the Old Testament is everything before Matthew, right there. This is the New Testament, which is sharing about Jesus, because the Old Testament, from our belief, is the history of God before the Messiah, talking about the Messiah, And then this is the story of the Messiah and those that followed him. So the Old Testament, the way this came about, we're not exactly clear. One of those questions you don't really want to look into because you find the answer, you're like, what? There wasn't like a certain date? Oh, yeah, there were dates. There were all kinds of dates where they argued. In fact, the one they talk about the most is the Council of, um, uh, uh, what is it, Namnia? Anyway, yeah, Namnia. It's some weird, doesn't even make sense to me. But they had this council... In 90 AD. And at that council, they discussed this. But you know what? They always discussed this. Over the history of time, people have always discussed, well, should that book be in? Why is that one left out? Why isn't this one in? In fact, there's books in the Old Testament they would still argue about. But in 90 AD was not when this was decided. You see, probably conservatively, 200 BC, they had just said, look, these are the books of the Old Testament. Jesus was quoting them in fact when you see Jesus quotes all the ones he quotes are the ones that are now in our Old Testament and yet it was decided before that because it was accepted but how did they make these decisions the same way we would so let's look at a couple of the criteria it's basic stuff the kind of questions that I started asking Dr. Youngblood I was like whoa 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 what do you mean other people wrote Isaiah Um, actually can you go one more past that So these are some of the criteria that were used by many of these synods and these councils. Here's the number one. This is for, um, this should be either apostles or prophets. So as this is written by either the apostles or by associates of the apostles or it's written by prophets or by associates of the prophets. Every time they had a council, every time they have a synod, that's the big question, right? Look. Who wrote this? If we don't know where it came from or if it didn't come from someone close to them. So when we look at Deutero-Isaiah, it was written by someone close with Isaiah. It wasn't just some random that said, you know what, I really don't like what Isaiah said. I'm going to add on to that. And it shouldn't be that weird to us. When I first heard it, it freaked me out. But have you ever heard of the diary of Anne Frank? Did you know that Anne Frank didn't write that by herself? I don't know if you just had cracks shoot through your body right now. But her father came in, so she wrote it, then afterwards she wrote a little bit more, and then her father came in and tweaked a little bit because he had a different perspective on how it all worked. But he was a close associate with his daughter, of course, right? So it's called a compilation. So there are books in the Bible that aren't just written by Jeremiah, that aren't just written by Mark. There's, there's other people that spoke into it, but they wouldn't make it into the canon, They wouldn't make it in unless that rule was fulfilled by these different groups. Number two, was it congruent or did it agree with the basic Christian tradition? Or in terms of the Old Testament, with the witness and the way that God revealed himself, is it true with that? Or is it going off in a crazy direction? Now the Old Testament was a lot easier because it was around for a lot longer. It was oral tradition. Most people just knew it because it was passed down. But people started to write it down when the written words started to become a big deal. And so they started writing it down. And they'd write it down on, um, on these uh, scrolls. And they'd have the entire Old Testament, especially the Torah. Um, they, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. I'll try to go slow. I'm trying to talk fast so you don't get bored. But I'm also trying to talk fast so that I can take you where we need to go. So try to keep up. If I'm going too fast, just wave like this. Slow down. Slow down. So they'd have these, um, they put on papyrus, um, primarily there was a, a parchment they'd also use, but they would start to write it out, and it was a big deal how they would transfer it. They'd have people double-checking, and they'd write it, and write it, and it'd become this like big, like round piece of paper, and then they would, when they'd come and open, it'd be boop, and it was like feet long. Can't, I think it was like 150 feet, but I don't want to say that for sure, but they'd open it up, and that was just the Torah. And so for this canon, they'd look at it and they'd say, is this part of the canon? Those first five books made it in. They believed that either Moses did or an associate did of his, that it was accurate and that it was widespread and longstanding. The Torah was the Torah. Everybody knew the Torah. They didn't have to argue about that one. It's like, it's in. It's been around since 1400. I mean, God himself was the first one to write. He wrote on the stone tablets, here we go. So it was widespread and longstanding. So now let's go back to all these different councils. So these are just some, just some of the councils. And when you look at these, you're like, oh, the church got together. You know what this is? These are people that started asking questions. They're people that didn't just blindly believe, and these were leaders in the church. And they would argue, amazingly so, about all different aspects of the Bible. So you have the Council of Laodicea starting in 229. They had others before that. Look at the last one I put there, the Jesus Seminar. Anyone here ever heard of the Jesus Seminar? Raise your hand. Okay, so not a whole lot of you. It's a, it's a group of people that got together starting in 85. They've kind of, the leader passed away. So it's kind of faded out. But it's another group that said, look, did Jesus really say those words? We're going to all get together. You write. We're going to make little notes and dots. Gonna, they use the dot system. And they looked in the New Testament they said, You say what you thought Jesus actually said or what somebody just wrote down for him. And they started making all these notes. Why? Because they wanted to ask questions. Now, a lot of people are frustrated with the Jesus seminar. I think they kind of went off board a little bit. But the point is they're asking questions. We should not be afraid to ask questions. All of these councils who a lot of us look back on, like the Westminster Confession of Faith, they were asking questions. But why? to come up with answers that's why we ask questions right now there are some people that just ask questions because they want to destroy things but they were asking questions because they wanted to find the truth there's a man named Walter Brueggemann he is pretty much considered the expert on the Old Testament the, the, the smartest wisest most decorated, if he was a general he'd have a bunch of those things all over his chest in terms of the Old Testament and this is what he had to say about the the Bible he said the more that I study the Bible and the deeper I go the bigger of a mystery it is to me which is why when someone has a different opinion or interpretation I don't slay them any longer do you hear that? I don't slay them any longer. Because he wants to listen. But he's the smartest. The smartest people still ask questions. He has put his whole life and his trust into the word of God. But he's not afraid to ask questions. And he's not afraid to have other people ask questions. Like all of these councils and synods. For the most part, the New Testament became solid in 419. Now prior to that, there's 39 books in the Old Testament and there's 27 in the New Testament. The 27 had been decided before 419. So now we're moving to the New Testament. I said that the Old Testament was pretty much in place conservatively 200 BC, probably around 300, 400, 500 BC. They just said, look, this is the Old Testament. Stop messing with it. But the New Testament... They finalized in 419. Why so long? Well, it didn't take that long. They just kept arguing about it. Does that make sense? It wasn't like they couldn't make up their mind. It was that new books started popping up. You ever heard of the Gospel of Thomas? Yeah. So people are like, well, see, there's mystery, secret books that they didn't want to keep in. This is the thing about all of these. They wanted to keep tons of books out because they wanted to make sure that they knew that they knew that the books of the Bible should be there. In fact, this Carthage Synod here in 397, they kicked Revelation out. Because they said, are we sure that John wrote it? And so they're wrestling with it because Revelation would pop in, pop out. And then in 419, they go, yes, it should be in. So they brought it back in. So Revelation wasn't almost there. Does that mean it's a secret book? No, it means you have people asking questions and they're wrestling with it. The book of James. A lot of people are like, I don't think the book of James should be in there. Because we're not sure, for whatever the different reasons were they argued about. The Gospel of Thomas, they weren't sure Thomas wrote it. It was saying things that didn't match up with common beliefs. In fact, it had crazy things to say about how women were supposed to be saved, which was different than men. And the leaders, even back then, in this patriarchal, prejudiced society went, this does not match up with how God has revealed himself through Jesus. Jesus. It doesn't match up with anything he's taught before. So we can't put that in. And so they use this criteria to figure out what would go in and what wouldn't. So around 419, it became solid, but they kept arguing about it. Council of Trent, they did more argument. Westminster Confession of Faith, they argued some more. And there's tons I left out. The reason I put that up there is to let you know that people have been asking questions for centuries. And they're going to ask it again. And these are, I don't know them personally, for obvious reasons. But these councils, these synods, these groups are trying to find the truth. And we don't want it to be messed with. And so it was hard for books to get in. And some that are in at one point were left out. Until they wrestled through it. Because they wanted to make sure that it could be trusted. Now, I'm telling you that. And let's face it, once that slide disappears, that's all going to become just letters, right? No one's going to remember, oh, you know, the Carthaginian and Synod and the 397. You're not going to remember that. Unless you've got some kind of crazy memory or you just love to show off, there's no chance that you're going to remember this stuff. But the question is, are you asking the questions? This is, you can find this. Hello, Google. People before didn't have the ability to do this. You have that in front of you. And you're going to hear different perspectives. Some people are going to say, well, actually, it was 700 B.C. when the Old Testament was finished. Or some people are going to say the New Testament was finished much earlier than that. It was a canon way before that. You've got to look into this because you've got to start asking these questions. Because if you trust this, everything changes. Now, your Bible, my guess is, is in English. Anyone here have a Bible right now that's not in English? This is your time to show off. Well, actually, I read five languages. I just brought Swedish today. So no one? Okay. This is English. We take for granted that we have a Bible in English. I remember when we, um, when I graduated in 92 from college, the, uh, the wall had just fallen down, in Berlin prior to that communism was crumbling and we were able to go to Russia when I was growing up it was like well it was the forbidden land there's no way you'll ever get in there because we're enemies and and it opened up and they invited the church to come and (coughs) I remember us going there and we had Bibles because before it was illegal to bring a Bible in and as we had these Bibles in their own language we, were in the, we would get off of the bus and they'd bring us into the stage area. There was no talking or perform. It was nothing. It was just people racing up there to get a Bible in their hands in their language. You just take that for granted. I just take that for granted. They didn't have a Bible in their own language. They had to pass it down. They had to discuss it. They had to talk about it. Well, as people do, and there's people in the church, the church starts to lose its mind and so the church at one point just kept the Bible in Latin, which most people couldn't speak. And around Europe, a lot of the leaders started fighting for that. There was a man named John Wycliffe who by hand, okay, there was no printing pres- press at this time, started translating the Bible into English. So he knew, he knew the, uh, the old languages and he'd start translating it and he could kick out a few of them. Think about that commitment. Uh, do I want to wake up and read the Bible? I don't know. I'm kind of busy. This guy's writing by hand to translate an entire Bible, word for word, and he's translating it from one language to another so that he can hand it out to people. He was, <laughs> he died, and the church—they get this—not not the governments—the church was so infuriated with him they went and dug up his bones, crushed them, burnt them, and spread them around as punishment. The church itself didn't want the Bible in the language of the people. Martin Luther. Like, well, yeah, Martin Luther. Yeah, the Lutheran church, yeah, that's great. Martin Luther had to run for his life and he started translating the Bible. He had this very important person that was looking out for him. If it weren't for that, he'd be dead. And so he went to, um, just like Erasmus, who's another guy that I'd love to spend time talking about, but he translated the Bible and this was after the printing press. So, The printing press was finished in 1450. So you can just be really fancy. Throw that out, 1450. You want to throw that out? I've been practicing that one because I've known it for like 20 years and I keep forgetting the number. So I just round it off to 1450 and you just look smart. So around 1450, um, the printing press was there. He had to translate in private and the, the, the German New Testament, not the Old Testament yet, the New Testament was in the language of the people. Think about that. I want us us to look at a quote from Wycliffe before Luther talking about the importance of having the Word of God in our own language. John Wycliffe wrote this way before. Holy Scripture is the preeminent authority for every Christian and the rule of faith. Remember canon, the word canon, the rule, and it's the rule of faith. It's necessary for all men, not for priests alone or pastors alone. Christ and his apostles taught the people in the language best known to them. Therefore, the doctrine should not only be in Latin. Believers should have the scripture in a language which they fully understand. And yet the church didn't want that to happen. Why? Because this is dangerous. Because when you start to read the word of God and you have access to this, It's dangerous. Things will change. And they knew that. And so the leaders over Martin Luther knew that as well. And then there was another man named John Tyndale. He was English. And he also, like Martin Luther, said, we have to have this in our language. And so he started translating it. He ends up in England. And when he arrives, they come and they start, just like in Russia, before the walls came down, they started taking all the Bibles they could. So then he went and had 3,000 printed. 3,000 copies at at a printing press. And then it just kept going and going. And you know what they eventually did to him? Henry VIII, they had him killed. Think about that. Killed for translating the Bible into a language that everybody could understand. And they didn't just kill him. They strangled him. And then they burnt him at the stake. As if the strangling wasn't enough, then they put him and burnt him at the stake. When we hold this in our hands, we're like, oh, I wonder which version this is. We don't even think about what came about because we take it for granted. But you've got people like Wycliffe, Luther, and Tyndale that trusted so much in this. They were willing to give up their lives so that people like us, their own people, could have it in a language they could understand. So when we talk about trusting the Bible... I think about the verse that first stuck out to me, um, like I've shared before. Like I started reading the Bible from the beginning, and and that was really boring. And then I made it to Numbers, and I gave up. And then I was going to this youth group, and I was not a youth group kid, but they had sports there, so I'm like, oh, I'm in. And so I, during sports, they'd stop it, and we they opened the Bible, and I remember he was talking or sharing something, and I was just flipping through the pages. And I got to Romans 12. And it said, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed so that you may know his will, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And I remember reading that, and it, was, it wasn't just words on a page. It was like, that's God speaking to me. I almost like looked around. And I mean, I'm a literature guy. I love to read. I know it sounds nerdy. Shakespeare. I, love, I look at those lists, like top 100 books of all time that you should read. I want to make sure I've read them because I just love literature. And as m- powerful as literature is, there's a difference between literature and the word of God. And when the word of God hits you, it's like nothing else. And I wish I could make it do it all the time because I'm not saying yes. Every day I just can't wait to get in the word. That would be a lie. There are times where I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. There are times... Um, when I most need to that I don't want to. I mean, let's face it. It's like friendships. It's like being a parent. It's like marriage. You have a commitment and a trust and a love, but that doesn't mean you always feel it. That doesn't change the value or the trust just because I don't feel like waking up. But the value has not changed for me even when I keep asking these questions. And I'm fairly sure I've asked more questions than most people in this room. And I am willing, I'm not Excited about it, but I'm willing to have everything crack and crumble if I'm standing on something that's not the truth. But you got to ask these questions. And so, for us, for you, this is what I want to challenge you to do. I don't want to challenge you to get onto Google and look up all the history. I don't want to challenge you to just trust it. I'm not going to say just take the step of faith and just believe. I want to challenge you to ask questions. To not blindly believe that this is the word of God. To not blindly mistrust that this is the authentic, trustworthy word of God. And probably more importantly, to not be indifferent. To not ask questions at all because I just haven't thought about it. I don't really care one way or another because it matters. And I just mentioned three people that gave up their life. There have been people for centuries that have given up their lives... So that people would have the ability to have the word of God at their disposal. And you have it. And you have to make a decision to ask those questions. I had to ask those questions in many different ways. One of the most important in my life was when, in marriage. I remember dating my wife and I remember getting to that point of like, oh man, what do I do now? Like do I trust that if I ask her, of course, the big step was, would she say yes? Once I had that confidence, then I had to go, wait, do I want to say yes? This is a big deal. Do I trust that this is going to work? I can can ask other people. I can, we didn't have Google back then, but I could research it. But ultimately, I've got to be the one that steps into that relationship and starts asking questions. I'm the one that has to wrestle with that because I've got to live with it for the rest of my life. And so did she. This is a big decision that we have to make. But it has to be made. And you can't just blindly jump into it. If I had moved on and not married her, I would have regretted it for the rest of my life. If I'd been indifferent and just just kept dating and kind of hanging out and just kind of being at a distance but not very serious, she wouldn't have stayed around. With everything, we have to make a decision. And that decision is at hand. And I want to close with this. I want you to imagine right now that we have a time machine. And we have some open seats here. And so (coughs) imagine um, that some of those people from the past, and they're going to be shorter and smaller. Not sure why, but we know from anthropology for some reason they're smaller. So these smaller people, they're still humans, from somewhere between 1400 BC and we'll take them up to uh, um, 1600 BC. None of the, I mean, um, CE, AD, whichever one you want to call it. None of those people have the written word of God in their hands, in their own language, right? Because we've just figured out they don't. I mean, sure, we had a canon, but they didn't have it in their hands. And so they are shot here, and they've sat through this entire thing, and they're like, Bibles? You see, because they don't know what a Bible is. They haven't seen one. They've, they've, they've had it passed down. They've heard about it. They've had it taught to them. Um, they may have seen um, certain scrolls, They may have even seen little sections, but they've never had one complete book. And so they're right next to you. And then we finish up, and they kind of tap you on the shoulder, and they're like, wait, do you you have, like, the Word of God, right, it's all written out in your language? Well, yeah. Wait, you mean you have, you have 1 Kings? Yeah, it's right there. Why? Why? You can open it up and read it whenever you want? Yeah? You have the Torah, you have the first, you have Moses's, you have it written down? Whoa. Yeah, we even have the New Testament. What's the New Testament? Well, it's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so those that lived. wait, the Messiah? You, you have the teachings of the Messiah, you have his life, you can look at it? it's right there can you imagine the joy they would feel to know that we've reached a point now where you can have that yeah and we and it shows that he died and he rose again you have that you have it all in one place so when does the church let you check it out no no we all have one what yeah i mean you want me to get you one? like they pass it out on sundays I can just get it whenever I want. And they probably would look you right in the eye and go, how do you ever put that down? You must read that every day and memorize it. That's amazing. But we don't. Now, it's unrealistic. I know they'd be all pumped up and think we'd read it every day. But they would fall into the same position we would. The bigger question is, Do we trust this? Do we trust its authority? You have to start asking those questions. And as you ask those questions, as someone that has gone down that road, and I have a lot more questions to ask, and a guy like Walter Brueggemann, who is way beyond what I could ever understand, is still asking questions. But it's going to build your foundation strong. And you can make the decision what you want to do with your life. Because if you trust this, it will mess up your life. And what I mean by that, and we say that often here, is the life that you have planned, the life that you have figured out, it will be straightened out, it'll be made clear. Because it's God's word. It's God's word for us individually and as a people. But the first question that has to be asked is do we trust it? What we're going to do now is we are going to pray. And um, I'm going to invite the worship team up. And we are going to take communion together. And the way communion works, if those who are serving communion um, could go to the stations. During these next few songs, we want to use this as a time of prayer. And in communion, we also ask the question of Trust. Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And when we do this, you're asking yourself the same basic questions. Do I trust that Christ lived, died, and rose again for me, for us, and that I am forgiven? And when he asks us to do this in remembrance, we do it in remembrance of not remembering, oh yeah, there was a guy named Jesus. No, remembering his love for us, for our enemies, for this world. And so don't take that lightly and ask that question. If you're at a point where you're like, I just don't trust, you don't have to take communion. This isn't like when you, are trying to think of a common thing that you do where you have to do it and I couldn't think of one. So I don't have a good analogy for that. But you don't have to do this. And you think, well, someone's going to notice. They're not paying attention to you. They're so worried about what people think of them. So you're always invisible. We're always, always invisible. So don't worry about what other people think. But during communion, if you trust, then you have the ability to. But if you don't, Don't worry about taking communion. There's no magic in the communion. It's for those that trust and just want to reaffirm that in their hearts and to the Lord. So if you could all join me in standing and I'll pray for us. Father God, I ask that as we look at this um, idea of trust, and especially as we wrestle with the word of God, that you would guide us. We want to ask questions. We want our kids to ask questions. We want our youth to ask questions. But our trust is in you providing the answers. Walk with us, Lord, in our fear, in our courage, and in our hope. We ask this in the name of the Holy One, Jesus. Amen.